Welcome to the Coach and Doc podcast, hosted by Coach Chris Cutcliffe and Dr. Hunter Taylor. Our organization's mission is simple. We aim to seek and share wisdom on how to build teams that experience long-term success. One way we do that is by interviewing some of the best leaders inside and outside of athletics on this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the work we do at Coach and Doc, please visit our website, www.coachanddoc.com. Our next guest is Dr. Charles Broadup, longtime leader of the University Interscholastic League. Dr. Broadup currently serves as executive director, which means he is the chief overseer of public school academic, music, and athletic competition in Texas. Previously, he spent 14 years as the UIL's athletic director, responsible for the body that governs more than 1,400 Texas schools, including the biennial reclassification and realignment process, which we all know that means he has really thick skin. Uh, but a lot of folks forget that before joining the UIL in 92, Coach Broadup spent almost 20 years as a teacher, coach, athletic director, and principal at Buna, Hardin-Jefferson, and Beaumont Westbrook. He's coached football, baseball, track and field, and cross country, but he is best known as the longtime basketball coach at Hardin-Jefferson, where he was 292-57. and 57. And he led the Hawks to the 3A Finals in 1984 and to the state championship with a 37-1 mark in 1991, and he was named Texas State Coach of the Year. Dr. Broderick, thank you so much for spending time with us. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate you saying those nice things about me, but all I can remember as a coach is the games that we lost that we should have won. <laughs> <laughs> Typical of a coach, man. I can't tell you anything about that state championship game, but I can tell you all about the ones that we didn't didn't come through on, and uh, that's just typical of a coach, isn't it? Well, no doubt. Typical, but looking at the record, you don't have as much to look at. So, anyway, we're going to jump right in there, okay? So, <laughs> first question, uh, and you kind of mentioned this before we started getting into the podcast, so this has been a long 18 months, and uh, I know there's got to be a lot of anticipation for normalcy back with high school athletics. So, what kinds of crowds do you anticipate for high school football and volleyball in communities across the state of Texas, you know, after what this fall was like. Yeah, you know, Dr. Taylor, I just, I just tell you that uh, I'm not really sure what normal looks like anymore. Yeah. Uh, we have just been uh, beat over the head over this past 18 months, and it just seems so strange to have just finished and uh, feel so proud about finishing, and then we're starting right back. Uh, we think that we're going to be back with more zeal than ever before. I think the folks that weren't able to come to games last year are going to be back with a great deal of enthusiasm. Uh, I know they were chomping at the bit last year to allow more people in. Uh, and parents wanted to be at the games. We were not going to have contests without parents at the game to watch their kids. That was number one. Uh, and then we have those long-time um, season ticket holders that feel like they need to be in there. And they've been holding those tickets for a long time and they want to sit in their seats and watch the game. So uh, knowing that, I just believe it's going to be better than ever before. I think people are not going to take it for granted any longer. Mm -hmm. I think they're going to want to uh, be right there front and center and be a part of that Friday night experience. And that's true of every activity we have. Um, you know what? Uh, we used to say there were only two sports in Texas. Uh, we had football and spring football. <laughs> but you know what? We found out, and I learned the hard way when I came to work at the UIL, is that a minor sport is something somebody else's kid plays. <laughs> My kids <laughs> play major. 
So tennis is important. Golf's important. Everything we do is just magnified. And it's even more so now that we've had this pandemic and we had to stay away in so many ways. That's why I'm so proud of our team to be able to put together our state championships, even though it looked a little different with some of our tournaments. Uh, we had finals only in some of those. Uh, but we're ready to roll out our, our plan for 21-22 uh, with all doors open and moving forward as we've always done before. Awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. So, you know, taking a minute just to, to reflect back on some of the positive changes that maybe came out of last year. Are there any changes implemented during the 2020-21 school year due to the pandemic that maybe the UIL plans to keep in place? Well, the number one thing that I think is remarkable, you know, we've always had a Friday night rule that there were no live broadcast of a game, a football game. You can do any other sport. You can do any other night. But Friday night is sacred in Texas. But we relaxed that this past year to let anyone who wanted to do a telecast or a streaming of a game could do so. And that helped for those who weren't allowed to come to the games or were afraid to come because of, of, of the COVID. Uh, they were able to watch and witness those games. Our board just met last week and codified that and, or allowing streaming on Friday night games, uh, not allowing the live broadcast of, you know, uh, on cable networks and regular uh, uh, what we call um, – on the air broadcast. I don't know the difference, but that's a strange term to put it. But to allow broadcast in that way and uh, streaming, I, I think people want that. 90% of our school said we want it, we like it, and we think it's good. So I, I think that's a major step for us. Uh, we've always wanted to protect Friday night, and I think we still will. I think people are going to come back anyway. I don't think anyone stays home um, when their team's playing on a Friday night to watch them on TV. I think they'll DVR that or find a way to watch it in a different way, and they'll get home and watch it later. But uh, uh, that's that's the major thing. The other thing I would say is that I think we're going to take a deeper sense of gratitude every time we finish a game, and we're going to be more proud of what our kids are accomplishing, what our coaches are doing with our kids. I think that's going to be more, uh, more gratitude shared in that respect because – man, it can be taken away from you in a moment. And uh, I just – I think that's one thing we're going to uh, continue to recognize. And, Dr. Brock, you've done a lot of different things. Now, I read off your bio to start with. Uh, you just had very different seasons of life. I'd love it if you could briefly tell us kind of your career path because we think it's so fascinating. Well, I, I – tried my best uh, to get through with college as quickly as possible. So um, it wasn't high quality work, but I got out of there. <laughs> got me a coaching job, ASAP. I got a job back in my hometown as a junior high coach. And so I was, I was man, I thought I was the next coming of Vince Lombardi and John Wooden all put together. What I found out. Uh, later is that they didn't really hire me to coach. They, they hired me because I could drive a bus route. <laughs> so, <laughs> doing a lot of things, I did have to do that. But I loved every bit of it. I was a scout on Friday night, and they paid me $5 to go scout a game. That was big money for me. I mean, I, I was only making $7,200 a year, coaching every sport, boys and girls, from football, basketball to track. And then I was assistant baseball coach to high school. So I was busy. Then I got, uh, got my first high school job over at Hardin Jefferson. And, and uh, the very next year, I was a head coach uh, for the basketball team. 
and had a great run there, enjoyed it. And then I went over to Beaumont Westbrook thinking I was going to be able to, you know, uh, set the world on fire in the big, with the big schools. And we did. We won 100 games in four years and had a great run there. Um, and then Harden Jefferson called me back and, and I had the opportunity to be the athletic director and the head basketball coach, which is rare in Texas. Mm -hmm. And I took advantage of that. And in the middle of that, this is a crazy story. Um, I was certified to be a principal, but had no plans to do that. But on October 1st of 1990, beautiful, clear day, um, the assistant principal at the high school murdered the assistant superintendent at the central office over a dispute that no one really can figure out. And so here I am, an athletic director with no classes, you know, rocking along, doing my coaching. And they say, you got to be the principal. You got to be the assistant principal now. So I got into administration reluctantly, but just because there was a need there, I filled that role. And then the next year I became the high school principal. I'm still the athletic director. I'm still the head basketball coach. And uh, so that, you know, it, it worked out. We'd won the state championship in 91 and uh, Dr. Farney uh, recognized me from being the president of the Texas Association of Basketball Coaches and said, Hey man, we've seen your proposals. You've talked before our board and, seen some articles you've written. Would you be interested in a job? And I said, no, I don't want to go to work at a bureaucracy. I want to coach. And uh, he kept after me. And finally, I, I joined the league in, in 92. Didn't like it much at first because I wasn't part of a team. I'd been a part of a team since I was eight years old. And, uh, you know, I've kind of felt that that really wasn't a team. And that changed in 95 when I became athletic director. And then I got to hire some people that I want to make my own team. And it's been great ever since. It's been a wonderful ride. Uh, started my 30th year at the UIL. So um, it's, uh, it's really been an interesting time in Texas and some of the great things that we've been able to do. Uh, really blessed to have seen some of the best coaches in the world coaching our kids, um, some of the best athletes in the country, and the history of sports have come through here. So I'm really blessed to be here. Impressive. That is a really, really fascinating story. And, and so you mentioned that you were a principal, um, <laughs> you know, in addition to being an athletic director and a coach. So let's say that I'm a high school principal. Okay. And I know this is one thing that Texas does really, really well. So I'm a high school principal. Talk me into implementing an athletic period during my school day. I would tell you, you can't live without it. Uh, the heartbeat of the school is this coaching staff. It's the discipline of the school. And the one thing that we have going for us in Texas with our athletic period is that the coach gets to see those kids every day. So if you have a student who's not doing well in English, who are they going to go to? The English teacher coach. is going to coach and say, hey, can you do something to help me here? Uh, Johnny's not behaving in class, not turning in assignments. And guess what? It's going to be taken care of. So you, you get that part. Uh, of the puzzle put together where the coaches are integral to that. Being able to see that child every day means a lot. And it's not just for the X's and O's. It's not for the conditioning. It's not for the strength, uh, strength training. It's about just making a connection with a child who maybe has no one at home to look over him. If you don't have an athletic period once football season's over, he's gone. You don't see him again. Who's going to make sure he's passing his classes and he's doing what he's supposed to do who's going to make sure that he's getting enough food to eat who's going to make sure that he's taking care of his body and making sure he's running around with the right people because coaches know more about children at school 
than their own parents do in many cases. So I'd say to have that hour every day to be able to work with your kids. We know the benefits coaching wise, but what about the holistic approach to that child? That's someone who's going to be selfish about taking care of a young person because they have a vested interest in him, not only because they care about children, but because they want that, that youngster to be a good athlete on the field for him. So by seeing him every day, you get a chance to groom him and, and, and uh, have him ready to go. That's good. Well, Doc, I know you're a Texan, but you're also a proud Southeast Texan. All right? <laughs> and you mentioned TABC. I can remember being at TABC circles, and you kind of hear people whisper about that Harden-Jefferson basketball crew. It's kind of like the mafia almost. <laughs> And, uh, but if you wouldn't mind, I'd love if you would talk about how and why high school sports are such a big part of the everyday culture in that region of the state. Hey, you know, you guys might be too young to remember this. There was a time that the Beaumont, Port Arthur, Orange Triangle, called the Golden Triangle, uh, was called the Pro Capital, yep. uh, NFL football, Pro Capital Football Hall. Uh, I mean, that's, it's a cradle of football. Um, so many great players, Bubba and Tony Smith, and Mel and Miller Ford, Warren Wells, uh, <clears throat> Jerry Levice, all came out of that, <clears throat> that area. And then the little town I grew up won seven state championships in a nine-year period in basketball. Uh, so there, were, there was some quality play going on. I got to grow up in that golden era and see that and witness it. Um, and uh, it just – it's a special place, you know, right there close to the Louisiana border. Um, just so many uh, – so many great people, so much good food <laughs> <laughs> and great athletic programs. So, so I know that, you know, obviously you're very heavily involved in uh, policy with UIL and, and, you know, nationally really – Taking the taking the lead uh, with that and uh, with the UIL. So, you know, I'm just curious. What are the most pressing issues you see high school sports needing to address in the upcoming years? Well, I think the one thing that's the elephant in the room everywhere is this business with transgender athletes. That's the one thing that's happening that we're really fearful will will impact uh, our girls' sports. Uh, we forget about the girls' sports sometimes. Uh, because of all the attention we give to high school football and our boys' sports. But we started girls' basketball in 1951. Uh, we really didn't need Title IX to tell us what to do, but we agreed that things needed to be more equal than they were, and we've done a lot to celebrate girls' athletics. We have a rule that says a student uh, must compete according to what their birth certificate says. So uh, I, I think that's a good rule. That's what our council made up our superintendents believe. And so we're going to protect that. Now, we may not be able to through the courts. Who knows what's going to happen there? Uh, a lot of states are passing laws to, to back up their state association. We don't have a rule yet in Texas, but they've called a special set, a session to deal with that. So we'll see ha what happens with that. Those kind of issues sometimes can be distracting uh, to state association work. Um, well, we do have to deal with a lot of policies. Um, Dr. Taylor mentioned a minute ago about realignment. <laughs> That's one big thing that everyone has to deal with. Every couple of years, you've got to reconfigure those because you have new schools that come on. There's great uh, spurts and growth in some areas of the state. Uh, we have that. And you know what? Here's the thing we have to worry about, too. All the influx of people 
coming in from the valley, from the borders, or overrunning um, school districts, and school districts have to take them in. And so the growth in those schools and our student population going up, maybe forcing them to plan a higher conference, while many of those students that they get are, will never be athletes or in athletic programs because they've never played before. Hopefully they'll get involved, but um, I just think all the things that are happening, happening nationally come to fruition in our local school districts. And so uh, that's, that's the big thing. The other thing for us, the shortage of coaches. coaches. Our coaching industry, we have about 6,000 really? coaches every year which means 6,000 leave <laughs> or 6,000 leave the profession. And, and it's a lot like our officials. They don't stay long enough to really find out if they love it or not. Um, coaching's hard. It's, it's hard. If it were easy, everyone would do it. And it's, it's a most difficult um, profession, but one that's most rewarding as well. You're not going to get rich coaching. Um, I mean, you can if you stay with it and get some breaks and you can become the next Nick, Nick, uh, Nick Saban or Steve Sarkeesian or Jimbo Fisher. Uh, but, uh, man, it's so rewarding. And I wouldn't have traded that $7,200 a year that I, I made for, for coaching my first year. I wouldn't have traded that for anything. I was living hand to mouth and didn't know the difference. I just love the fact that I had a set of keys and so coach, uh, some, some of those tight coaching pants that they gave us. <laughs> and those, uh, remember those uh, shoes with the ridges on the bottom of them? Man, I, I just want to be a coach, man. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, well, Coach, we're going to finish with a little rapid-fire closing round, all right? So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. I want you to say the first thing that comes to mind, quick answers, all right? All right, here we go. What book are you currently reading? Well, you know what I like? I really like to read mysteries, but I'll tell you what I'm reading right now. I'm reading Kent State, written by James Missioner. Um, you know, it's the 50th, it was 50th anniversary of Kent right. State. Yeah. And um, now I kind of grew up, I was a junior in high school when all that happened. And uh, I just remember it because I had a low draft number and they were taking the top 100 numbers. So I was thinking about that. You know, everybody was rebelling, rebelling about the Vietnam War. Um, and, and do you know who was on campus at Kent State at that time? Nick Saban. Nick Saban. It's, it's been a good book. I'm, I'm about halfway through it. Very cool. All right. If you could relive one season of your coaching career, which one would it be? My first year as a varsity head coach. Really? Yeah, I would because we had probably the best talent that I ever had <laughs> that year. And I had too much. I had too many good players, and I tried to play all of them, which is a huge mistake. I mean, we got beaten in regional finals. I would do anything to play that game over again. I mean, that game uh, just – I mean, we could have been in the state tournament, won the state championship. My very first year as a head coach, and had I been more experienced. High school coach or high school program that you just admired so much when you were coaching? Well, I'll have to say two. I would say uh, Bill Kruger, uh, the iconic coach at Houston Clear Lake. He was just, I mean, he just did it different. He, he adjusted with the times and won over a thousand games. He was a crusty old guy, but <laughs> I liked him and I learned a lot. Uh, and James Gamble at Port Arthur Lincoln, oh, yeah. who always had great, great players, 
But man, they were so disciplined. They, he, he had them, he well-oiled machine. He, be, he and I became great friends. I learned a lot. He taught me one valuable lesson. He says, I was frustrated because we kept getting beat in the early rounds of the playoffs and he was winning state championships. And we were on a bus riding over to Houston to scrimmage Houston Wheatley and, and uh, Cashmere. He brought his Lincoln team over to Beaumont. We rode over together. And so I sat and talked to him all the way. And he says, coach, coach, just keep on swimming. If you quit swimming, you'll drown. You want to get to the other side, you just got to keep swimming. And, you know, and I took that and I said, yeah, just stay after it. Just keep with it. Don't get down on yourself and make it unanimous. So, <laughs> I like that. Uh, both those guys are, meant a lot to me as far as basketball coaches anyway. Got Outside of Southeast Texas, what's your favorite part of the state to travel to and watch a game? Well, there's been a time uh, that we made an annual trip for about 15 years in a row. We went out to watch Lee and Permian, Midland Lee and Odessa Permian play. And we'd go on Thursday night and pick up a JV game along the way. But the next morning, we were at Permian for their pep rally. We went to Lee's pep rally. And then we went to the game that night. And we ate our way across Texas. So that's probably my favorite. <laughs> but uh, of all of them, hey, Going to AT&T Stadium to watch our 12 championship games is a highlight of my year, uh, basically because I spent about 10 years trying to get that done where we got all of our games played at one site uh, rather than them spread out all, all across Texas. Uh, I think that's one of the highlights of my career to get that done. So Arlington in December, pretty special place to be. Awesome. I can tell you on that, just watching that on TV is, is pretty special. I can't imagine being there and, and getting to experience that in person. Well, you guys are always welcome. I'll take care of you. You can come down and we'll, we'll set you up. And you'll, I think you'll enjoy it live, too. Well, this is recorded, so we have this on, on tape. So we got to do it. All right, finish this sentence. It's the last one. Finish this sentence. Above all else, I hope people remember me as someone who. I would say the word cared. So I want people to, to know that I cared about the junior high kids, the high school kids, girl sports, boy sports, black, white, brown, pink, doesn't matter what color they are. I care about all of them and uh, love coaches. I care about them. I understand the pressure superintendents are under and um, care about the parents and how they feel because how special it is it is to have a child participating in, in these activities. So I, I want people to know that I care a lot about that. Awesome. Dr. Bradley, thank you so much for joining us on this. This was awesome. Guys, thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the Coach and Doc podcast. Uh, we know there are a lot of podcasts out there, so we're grateful that you chose ours. If you'd like to learn more about the work that we do, please visit our website. It is at coachanddoc.com. Thanks again.